0: All right, we are in Mark chapter 6, Just Jesus Stories. So good to see you. Much, much smaller group today, but we not only have Daylight Savings Time, but you also, uh, some of the schools have spring break that kicked in same time, so we're kind of discombobulated. And other people saw a snowflake, and are still in line getting bread and milk. Chapter 6 of Mark Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't your sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his own relatives in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. There's so much here. Let's unpack this. Jesus went home. How difficult is it to go home when you're an adult? Now, yeah, there are, some, there are some positives, right? You, you want to see family. You want to see the old town or the like. I've had people say, if you could live anywhere you, you could on the planet, where would you want to live? And anymore, I just say right here, because this is, you know, grandkids are close and you are here, and so that works for me. But for many years, I would say back in Scotland on sky. But I quit saying that years ago, and people um, will sometimes even ask me, would you go back and live there if you could? And I've said no. And he said, why? And I said, because it isn't there anymore. The, 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 the nation I knew is, is gone. That was 30 years ago. Uh, things have changed. I, I can remember the first time I saw a McDonald's in Scotland, and I was thinking, that's either the most terrible or the best thing I've ever seen. I'm not sure what yet. Uh, I think terrible. But anyway, it, the, the point being, going home can be difficult. You're grown up so he goes home he begins to teach and they're going who are you to be teaching us we remember you we know who you are one side thing here and it's not really into the weeds in the second third fourth and fifth centuries a lot of gospels of the infancy of jesus were written gospels of jesus as a boy were written and they where Jesus did miracles as a boy and he uh, some of them positive like making birds out of clay and throwing them up and they became real birds and his and his playmates were amazed others which were not kind you know one kid making fun of Jesus so he struck him dead you know that sort of thing this passage tells you all of those stories are rubbish because if Jesus had lived like that as a little boy they would have all been expecting that as a man they'd have gone oh you remember him he makes birds and kills people. Better listen. But they didn't. He was just a boy. Might not have even been a good-looking boy. He would have smelled funny sometimes and had bad breath and had cavities and lost teeth. He would have done everything we went through. It's hard for us to get that in our head, isn't it? I remember when a preacher at Cammie's church, when we were just dating talked about how the pictures in the Bible of Jesus are not what Jesus looked like, and he went into some length. The next Sunday, he came back. This is Norman Gibson, I remember. although I'll never forget this. He said he preached that sermon, and on the way home, one of his kids opened up the Bible and looked at the picture and says, so that's not Jesus. And he said, no. The kid thought for a while and says, sure does look like him. (laughs) It is hard to get past this. Jesus goes home, and I've had these verses read in a, in a tone of wonder. Where did he get these things? These amaz- No, these are sarcasm and accusations. I go down to see my parents. My dad is in beginning stages of Alzheimer's. He can't see much at all. He's, he's le- been legally blind for years, but it, it gets worse. basically lights and shadows. Now he's gotten to where he can't walk without help, and he's got... Uh, a wheelchair now, or at least it's coming this week, I think it is, because uh, a walker won't even do anymore. My mother was in hospital all week, uh, was returned home. It's difficult, so I go down to try to take care of them. The problem is, as soon as I walk in, I'm 10. That's not their fault, but if I disagree with them, and I do about certain things, I'm the kid. I should play the role of kid. Can't do that anymore. And that becomes sandpaper, right? God creates a sandpaper so you'll leave each other and set up your own, you know, leave and start your own family and the like. And if you can't, which we can't anymore, because think of it, uh, a kid being on their parents' health insurance policy until they're 26 or so, they're at home because why? You can't buy a house. Why? Because it's too expensive. Why? And you keep going. We're wired by God to start that separation process about the time we hit our teens. Because for the longest time, you could. You could separate. The reason is, you lived there, and mom and dad lived there, and aunts and uncles lived there, and you, you had the village wisdom. And grandmama could get married at 15, because all you needed was cow 101 and basic sewing, and you were up to date on technology and go out in the backyard, cut some, some woods down, and make your house. We were wired for this, and much of the world is still like this. And now we have entered this, this in-between stage. And it's very difficult, very difficult for families, uh, both, both sides. I love teens, but I wouldn't be a teen again for anything. Um, it, it's a struggle. Jesus comes home, and they're going, who are you? Aren't you just a carpenter? Who are you to be saying these things? You're just, you're just Mary and Joseph's kid. Isn't this interesting? They don't say Joseph. They just say, isn't this Mary's son? Joseph's already out of the picture. Probably dead. He could have actually left them. Jewish law said any time during the marriage, if it's found out that she's been unclean, that her story about Jesus was wrong, that to be sadic, to be righteous, you can leave them and start a new family. That could have happened, but Joseph's gone. He's out of the picture, and Mary has a bad reputation. We know that because of the book of John all the time. We know who our father is, who's your dad, right in front of Mary. We, we hallow Mary. They did not. Uh, the people did not. Jesus certainly loved her and took care of her. Isn't this that woman's son? And we know his brothers. We know what they're like. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Who are you to say this? I understand that. I do. Um, most of the pushback I get via email or phone calls or the like are from relatives or people who knew me back when because I don't tow the party line anymore. I don't sing the franchise songs. And because of that, ooh remember Rubo Shelley was hated so much if you don't know why you need to know his history he started off as one of the conservative leaders of our church and everybody pinned their hopes on him I remember visiting I think we were just visiting I think it was a lectureship and I was maybe 15 or 16 years old visiting Fried Hardeman College which is in the middle of nothing at that time and they introduced us to this tall skinny funny-looking guy as uh, he just got his doctor at Vanderbilt and he's going to be the great leader in the church and you need to all look up to him. Next time I heard about people, they're going, oh, don't go to Rubble Shelley. Why? He disappointed them. They thought he was going to sing their songs. And when he just talked about what he found as truth, that was offensive. And I've always just admired him so much because of the way he kept his sweet spirit through all of this. He He didn't become angry in return. I'd like to grow up to be him one day. Uh, I'd like to grow up, period. But anyway, Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his own relatives, in his own home. Isn't that a helpful verse to remember? You know, you can be the CEO of, I don't know, Apple. But when you go home, the family dynamics... I work with this a lot. Um, I can't remember what it's going to be. I think it's the first, like this first week of April, I'll be up at the University of Dayton to do a day-long seminar to kind of help reset the, the morale and enthusiasm of hospice workers across Ohio. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'm already praying and sweating over that one. I got, I'm, I'll be speaking to them for almost nine hours in one day. And that's tough enough. They wanted to put in... I guess when you're ready to die and you help people die, that's a good day for you. But um, working with them, it can be a struggle. And one of the things we have to work with is when people are dying and the family shows up, they bring their history with them. I have stood by beds where one woman who is in her mid-60s is arguing with her sister who is in her mid-60s over the care of the parent, and the one at 66, as opposed to 65, says, I'm the older sister. I get to make decisions. Okay. That was probably important when you were 15 and 16. 66, 65, not so much of a difference. But they bring all of that with them. Jesus had to deal with it too. I guess that's just so I want you to know. He was not immune from any of this. He went through it Two. He was just that kid, even though he was grown up now. The next bit, interesting here, easily misinterpreted. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. We'll stop there. Was he unable to do miracles because people didn't have enough faith? That's what I've heard taught many times. I think that's very close to it's not blasphemy, but it's very insulting to Jesus. Did Jesus was Jesus able to create the universe without our faith? The answer is yes. It's like talking to a painting. You're allowed to respond. I said that out loud, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> verbal breakage. Must remember verbal breakage. Um He doesn't need our faith to do it, but their faith wasn't high enough to ask or to come to him or to trust him or let him try. Their faith wasn't enough. That's where I think we fall into this story. There are a lot of times I have faith in God, but I do have some backup plans. How about you? Yeah? I'm not always opposed to backup plans. Sometimes that's just wisdom. But just be aware, there are a lot of things I think God would do for me, but I have not let him take it. I'm not a mechanically oriented individual at all, period. Um, But I can do some simple things, and I, I can build some things and the like. But my kids learned early, don't trust me. And my son would come with a broken toy. My toy's broken, I need it fixed. And I would try to take it, and we'd be doing this for a while. Because most of the time when he let go of a toy, it went away. Because Daddy couldn't fix it. And he's going, and yeah, I'm going, no, I, I can do But I can't fix it as long as you're holding on to it. And that's when it hit me. A lot of things in my life I've never let go of. A lot of things. I'll say, God, you fix it, but I'm going to be holding it right here while you do it. These people wouldn't go to him and just let him have it. And that these people are me. Now there's a whole lot in just um, five, six verses. Uh, oh, we haven't even done the sixth one. Six, he was amazed. Remember the question last week about what does this do about Jesus' omniscience? And I said, it puts it into question because he didn't have omniscience on this planet. He was human. He knew more than we knew When it was time for him to know it, God doled it out to him as human circuits could take it. But he didn't know everything. When he came home, he really had thought it was going to go better. Anybody else ever had that experience? You go home thinking, this time it's going to go better. And it didn't. So did Jesus. He knows exactly what you feel. So, Six verses. Anybody want to unpack any more there or ask any questions? If not, this becomes just a lecture. Okay, then. Take out paper, number from one to ten. We're going to have a pop quiz. You could just do it in Greek. I wouldn't know. (laughs) I wouldn't even know it was Greek. Uh, Then Jesus went teaching from village to village. So if you can't do it at home, do you quit? No often be who you are. Here's something when I used to counsel, I would always help people understand. People will say things about you. People will tell you your value. People will tell you your place. But you are the world's top and only expert on what it means to be you. Don't let the amateurs have a say. You can put that on a T-shirt. If I'm, in fact, if I'm saying something, you should be writing it down. Um, make t T-shirt money off of it. That was not seriously said. So he, just, he went right back to work, teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Now, Luke goes into greater detail on this, but we're going to do Luke when we do Luke. So we're just going to learn it a bit at a time. Here are, by the way, impure spirits. Why doesn't it just say demons? Well, here's a shocker. They didn't have a word for demons. They would just say spirits. And you would have to tell in the context whether it was evil or good. They didn't have have a developed demonology. Although they had brought some of that from Persia, they had not developed it around the spirits uh, like Persians had, or Zoroastrians had. So you have to put it in there, spirits, and figure out whether it's a bad spirit or a good spirit. Well, he's giving them authority over them to cast them out, so that's going to be a bad one. And the NIV decides to call it impure spirits. I'm not really thrilled with that translation, but now you know. Here were his his instructions. Notice this, no backup plans. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. Staff was there just to help you walk along and defend off any beasties along the way. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you let's just stop right there. Luke gives that instruction twice. In a very short passage, and going out and changing the world twice, he only says something twice, once. How do do you say it? He only repeats one thing. Take nothing with you. Now, what's the point of that, do you think? Faith. You're relying upon him, not upon what you brought. Have you ever wondered why more Christians don't win the lottery? Now, don't start with Christians don't play the lottery. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But why don't more Christians win it? That's something I, I, I wrestled with for a while, wondering, why are all the sinners getting the money? And then I went to a big community meeting. We have a friend here, Mary, who is a, a, a member of our congregation in Colorado. In Colorado Springs, there's a big community meeting of all the different charitable works. And it filled this hotel ballroom. I was amazed at how many were there. But they all had one thing in common: not nearly enough funds. They were all struggling for dollars. And that's when it hit me. If God had let Patrick win hundred million dollars. And let's say Patrick is a good, loyal steward of it. He's not stupid and buying a bunch of Ferraris and such. But he's actually giving. It would end groups like this, gathering together to share their pennies, to share their singles. The group of us doing little bits makes us a group. If it's one rich guy, you're off the hook. Just the rich guy will handle it. You see what I mean? So God says, no, get together. Share what you've got. You're Southerners. You get a bit of this. You know what a potluck is. Now, when we in in Rochester, Michigan, I say we, it wasn't my idea. Fact is, almost all of the great ideas up there came from members, not from me. One of the members said, why don't we have a singing Sunday, once a month, uh, like Mark did here recently, but follow it by a potluck, and introduce the people to what a potluck is. They didn't know, and they did it wrong. They all brought their little bag of food. We're going, no, this is a sharing thing. And so when we brought food to share, it blew their minds. We were planning to do that just once. But the next time we did a singing, they said, can we have a potluck again? They were so excited to see what would show up. Bring what you got. Share it. But don't take any more than you have to take. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. Wow. And Luke says it twice. Then verse 10 is very dear to me because of my mom and her Irish Family, whenever you enter a house, stay there till you leave that town. When you enter a house in Ireland, it is traditional as you walk past the post to say, God bless all here. And it is as automatic as, hello, or how are you, or have a nice day. God bless all here. And it's just, it's, and, and in fact, there's usually a couple of responses, but the responses, are really independent, uh, dependent rather upon what section of the country you're in, but that God bless all here, that's universal. And in Scotland, the biggest holiday of the year is what you would call New Year's Eve. We call Hogmanay, and there are very strict rules about what happens at the stroke of midnight. Who crosses the first foot? We call it. Who's the first foot? What they say, and it's all about a blessing. What they bring, and even their hair color. And it's it's all very standard there. It's important, that that concept of when you walk in a house, you bless that house. But here, Luke will talk more about that. Here it just says stay there. What, What does it mean when you enter the house, stay there? What's the significance there? Respect? Absolutely. How about being satisfied with whatever you get? of always having to move on to a better house, better place, I don't like it here. What would our lives be like if we were satisfied? Now, I think that there should be some of that your reach exceeds your grasp thing, where we want to move on and do better, and, and, but there comes a time where you need to, I mean, we were on a cruise ship recently, there were people complaining, what do we have to eat? Really? Seriously? Or, you know, what are we going to do today? Oh, I don't know. How about sail on a multi-amazing yacht in the middle of the Caribbean? Will that do it for you? Evidently not. There needs to come a time where you just say, you know something, this is good. One of the most famous paintings of all time, and I should have thought of this earlier and looked up the name of the artist, is of the old man saying a prayer over the little bit of bread. And why is it? Because there's that universal understanding we should be thankful. You should be thankful. So he says, you be satisfied. What does it mean if you're taking nothing and you're satisfied, then the mission is about Jesus, not about you? You see what I mean? If it's always about what I need, what I lack, what I have to have, it's all about you. By the way, I've, I've, I've found myself in that position many times, to my shame. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Again, Luke will go into more detail here, but not yet. Shake the dust off your feet is a Jewish expression of don't hang on to that. Do we tend to hang on to rejections and hurts? I think in some sense because we believe them, in some sense because we resent them, but also in some sense because we want our justice now. Cammy and I are facing something mostly me, but she's married to me, so she's facing it too. With my parents in their decline uh, this week, we still had to start talking about full-time care, whatever options. And immediately that brings in a side of the family that, frankly, hates me because I don't sing the franchise song and a few other things. And they've even written some of you. uh, I know because you've come and said they found my address somehow. And who are these people? As Alan Gentry once said, he said, I think a Looney Tune has found my address. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I know they're going to be all over this. In fact, they were there several times this last week. Um, What are you going to do? Sometimes you have to learn to walk away, let it go. Do you want justice now? Oh, yes. Yes. I lived in Detroit ten years. I know people. I can (laughs) I can make a phone call. But it would be wrong. Sometimes it's fun to think about, but that is wrong. We want our justice now. Jesus says, if they don't accept it, walk away. Let it go. I got something else for you. But here's the thing it's like a buffet. Paul did not say he buffeted his body daily. He buffeted his body daily. It was different. But I love buffets. I'm at that age of life where I love buffets. I like to go in and have selections, and they seem to be endless. But you know the rules. You can't eat it all. So you have have to have a strategy. You have to go in saying, all right, no, I'm not going to eat the salad. That's bait for the food we want to eat. Uh, We're going to go over here now. What are the desserts? Get dessert first, because Jesus could be coming back. It's all right to leave broccoli behind, but the cobbler, you're going to think about that for eternity. So let's get the cobbler, and if they only have a bit of something, go get it now before you know, somebody else grabs it, and you have this thing, and you always, you always get to a point where it's full, and you see something else, and you think, well, I'll come back for that, and most of the time you don't, but here's the point. If you fill up your plate with other things, you cannot put on there what God wants you to put there. And if you're putting in resentments and hurts and I need this and I need that and I want this and I want that and I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid there is no room for Jesus' blessing. You're holding on to the toy. Get the concept? That's why he sent them out with nothing. You go with nothing. They, They went out and preached that people should repent. Stop there. How welcome is that? Well, all right. Since you're not going to answer, I'm going to tell you that when somebody tells me I want to repent, I don't normally go, ooh, good point. Even if it is a good point, it takes me a while to get to that point. You understand what I mean? I got to process it. I'd much rather get an attaboy than a ooh boy. Yeah, that's what they did. They drove out many demons, there we get the word, and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Let's talk about the oil. James talks about the oil. Somebody's sick, anoint them with the oil. Some people think the oil is kind of magical. I have no problem with carrying around vials of, of, of oil because ceremony is important. It really is. I think that that's, that's why bedside manner is so important with a doctor. Ceremony, relationship is very important. But it's not the oil. Back then, oils were the best thing they had to heal people with. It was just a way to soothe some pain away, um you know, to help infection go away and the like. We have other medicines today. We should use those medicines. It's not the oil. It is the action of praying over them and having a relationship with them. Again, some of my favorite people carry about a bit of oil. Good. Do it. Ceremony is a good thing. Um, but it's about Let's let's enter in with these people. Let's wrestle with this with them. Let's heal these people. Anything about that before we move on to the next bet? Because the next bet gets a bit complicated. We're just going scenes and scenes and scenes here. Yeah. Ooh, excellent question. And you actually threw me at the very last sentence, a couple words, because I thought you were going to ask something else. I thought you were going to ask, do we have authority to cast them out? But you said, do we still have evil spirits? Yes, there are still evil spirits. Absolutely. How do evil spirits mess with us? Um, Back when I was still acceptable in certain circumstances, and circles, both 20th century at the time, 20th century Christian and gospel advocate, were after me for about three years to write a book on demons and such because I'd worked so much within it. I had files like this. And I refused. And Cammy asked me, why won't you write it? And I said, I don't want to be known as the devil guy. I don't want, to be, want people to say, I didn't know anything about Satan until I met Patrick. I, I, want, I want to talk about Jesus. I want my Jesus file to be bigger. And whether that was a good decision or not, I'll let you decide. Yeah. If ever you've done mission work, you never question The existence of demons. They're more open in other places. Why aren't they open here? I would submit it's because they don't have to be. They've already got the culture, it already worships money, sex, and power. They don't need to show themselves. But in other areas, they have to show themselves. What, what can demons do to you? That's the next one, because people are always so afraid. I had a lady once start reading about demons and then couldn't sleep because there were flies in her, ba- her baby's crib room and she was certain those were demons. No, those are flies. It's a biological phenomena. Happens often. Uh, I've had people say, my roof started leaking. I know the devil's un- attacking me. No, the roof was 20 years old. So let's not get silly. C.S. Lewis said you can make two mistakes about the devil. One, to not believe in him, and the other is to believe he's doing everything. No. Are there evil spirits? Yeah, people come up with some ugly, dark things. Let's get rent a truck and drive down the boulevard of Nice, running down as many women and children as possible, and do it in the name of God. Let's cut off people's heads in the name of God. The ISIS manual on marriage just came out last week. I know you've read it. Uh, underlined passages to help you in your marriage. It's a real manual. It has come out. It talks about how the second wife is supposed to behave toward the first wife, how many times you can beat them, uh, how to divorce them just by saying three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, which is acceptable in the ISIS manual to do that by text. It goes on and on and on. There are demons among us, and they're not just all Muslim. Please understand this. Christians have demons, and like we'll talk more about that, but there's a question. Okay. Okay. Um, how do we recognize an evil spirit in somebody? Uh, the eyes can look evil. Yes, I think sometimes the eyes can can reveal. But we also have to understand that we interpret what we see, and therefore there could be more interpretation than actuality. Um, and uh, I, again, I have. Um, I remember stopping at a rest area in a very ex- excluded, far-off place. But I was driving home from speaking, and it was a long drive. And it was an empty kind of wasteland area where I stopped, walk into the restroom. And don't worry, it doesn't get any more graphic than this. In walks behind me, one of the biggest, smelliest, long-haired, tattooedest guy I'd ever seen. And there's a whole row, and he stands beside me, which is against the rules. I don't know, ladies, you may not know this, but there are, there are very firm rules about positionage. And this guy was out of position. And I was thinking, all right, I'm about to die in a bathroom. And uh, I was just thinking, you know, Jesus, this is not the, my route I had planned, but fair enough. He turned to me and he said, you have, You doing all right? And I'm thinking, just go with him. I'm, I'm going, jolly good. Everything's fine. He just was polite and kind. And as I left, he said, well, God bless you. You have a safe trip. I'm going, nicest guy I met. I could have misinterpreted. So we always have to be careful what we're running through our filters. Um, we should not be too quick to name demons. The psychiatrist Minrith and Meyer, a very famous Christian psychiatrist for years and years and years, uh, even went so far as to say, we do believe there are demons, but most of the, almost all that we have met are allergic to Haldolp which meant when we treat people with medication, what we used to call demons doesn't tend to have much work. Does that mean there are no demons and that these guys were wrong? No, there are demons. How do demons work? The same way Satan works. Whispers and suggestions. You know what you ought to do? That person looking at you like that, you ought to wipe that off their face. Or you see your wife, you could do better. These kind of whisperings, and everybody gets the whisperings. Yes. Now you're interested. Jesus, now, now. All right, here we go. Okay. Interesting question. Um, I've got five minutes to do this. So Randy, I will do as quick as I can. Maybe this summer, that should be my class, spiritual warfare, if you guys want. I was going to go somewhere else, but you guys seem interested in that. So um, question he asked was, "Do, do Christians have the Holy Spirit resident within them? Absolutely. It is not just via the word. The Holy Spirit is a gift who lives within us. Is it true then that Satan can possess other people? According to Paul, yes, because he says Satan can build towers or castles in the area of their lives they give them. He talks about roots of bitterness. The literal there is a tower of bitterness because you gave him some real estate. He's there because you let him there. See, this is something I have to fight right now over this thing with my parents. I'm going to be distracted about this for a while. It's going to be an issue for a while. Um, You know, it period. I'm going to have to make sure that I'm not giving the devil permission to build in a place in my head. And that's an ongoing struggle for me. For you, it might not be. For me, it is. You know, when the doctor slapped me on the bottom, I punched him. I, you know, when, Paul, when they slapped Albert on the bottom, he prayed for him. See, it's a difference. It's a different. I pulled a knife on the guy. I said, right, you, you want to go? I have to work on this um, very hard, don't give the devil territory. The Paul t- talks about don't give him territory. And that was to Christians. So if that's to Christians, can others be absolutely inhabited? Yes. Now here's the thing: I want you to learn about this. There is no word in Scripture for possession. That is our translation of a phrase. Someone was possessed. The word actually doesn't have an English equivalent. But the closest we can get to it is demonized, harassed—I would call it—constantly harassed. The voices, the impulses. Um, you ask about demons? Let me tell you now. I'm going to bring this up to the pastoral care ministers at our lunch here in, in 15 minutes or so when we start that. Are you aware of the blue whale game? It's killing young women, some young men we are over the internet. People work them into this game each day to cut themselves a little bit more. Over a period of time, then they are told to draw lines. When it forms a blue whale, the next instruction is to kill yourself. Now, this is not an urban legend. They're not dropping by the hundreds, but some girls are dying. Two died in London last last week. I read the British papers every day online. And um, they're trying to find the sources of these things. This is really not new. We've always recruited somehow. The devil has always recruited evil somehow, right? And it can be through cutting or sleeping with this guy or turning around several times and saying a name in a mirror. You know, I... The devil's looking for your interest let me see if i can help you here this may blow your mind but i've only got a minute left so if it blows your mind it's going to remain blown um there is nothing in scripture that indicates the devil knows what you're thinking he's not god he's not omniscient he's not everywhere not omnipresent either however let's say let's say i'm up at the university of dayton next uh in a few weeks or i'm going to be in victoria british columbia lord willing talking to the, the isolated church on that island uh, in a couple of weeks. Well, I'm there. Let's say I go to a restaurant. Pretty waitress comes over. She's super nice to me. She's looking for the tip, but I misread it thinking, ooh. And as she walks away, I give her a little bit too extra a look. If there's a demon in the area, he can see what I'm doing and start setting up the traps. The devil is very patient it takes him 30 years, it'll take him 30 years to start laying the traps. Or if he sees how I treat my relatives who are treating us in a certain way, he can start laying the traps. See what I mean? They don't know what you're thinking, but they can read your actions and then start the harassing. This is why the scripture talks about focus on Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Keep your eyes and your ears on Jesus. Get away from these other things. Well, that took a turn I wasn't looking for, but we will go back to it next week, Lord dwelling. For now, just be aware of this. I've had people say, but the closer you get to Jesus, the less the devil can hurt you. If that's true, how did he get Jesus on the cross and kill the apostles? But the devil cannot kill you because we have a shield of faith and we have a helmet of righteousness. He can kill your body, cannot kill your soul. So always remember, you do have a choice until you give your choice away to somebody else. So as we sang first song, I choose Jesus. Go in peace. We'll talk more next week. Fear not. Do not let this stuff scare you.